This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Subscribe to the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Brought to you by Breeden RV Center. Breeden RV Center, family-owned and operated. A no-pressure, laid-back atmosphere and always home of the free maintenance for life. This podcast is powered by the pros at Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas-owned, Arkansas-operated. GoPascal.com. Oh, so excited <laughs> for this to be the end of the week. And for this to be Friday, and we got a big sports weekend coming up, and I'm excited to just be home after a uh, long, long night of uh, a rough basketball game for Arkansas's women's basketball team, and a uh, late night of uh, travel back to the homestead. Let's say hi to the guys in the studio. Christian Johnston, Matt Jones, happy Friday. How are we feeling on the, this uh, lovely February the 10th? Always a little more pep in your step on a Friday. Christian been holding it down in here this week, man. Yes, it's been fun doing the show with you, Christian. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Maddie, uh, we'll be back, I'm sure, I think next week. So uh, looking forward to that as well. Hopefully without the giant python that he was shouldering in those uh, wedding photos. Yeah, it's not allowed on the plane. Well, no, I'm well, glad. It's, a, it's not a support I'm, animal. Not, well, that, yeah. You can put a, you can put a, a Emotional snake in a... You can put a snake in a box and tape it up and put that thing in there. I'm pretty sure of that. Oh, my goodness. I'm not sure if I'd uh, want to be anybody handling the baggage. Um, but Do you see that person, uh, speaking of animals in airports, you see that person video camera and uh, videotaping Shannon Sharp getting off the, he had his little, he had his Paris Hilton dog on him. And uh, you should have seen, it made me just look at him there. Just you, Dylan Brooks don't know. He's lucky. He's lucky there was somebody. Now, now Stephen Adams, on the other hand, that might be a good matchup because, because Shannon Sharp has some, some, some age in him. But that dude still looks like rocked up, man. Well, just let them let their dogs go at each other, right? I mean, let's make it an unfair fight in some cases. If you're Shannon Sharp and you've got a dog that's about the size of your biceps, it's a, it is, yeah, yeah. He just got it tucked in right there, like it looks. It's that size of a football, yeah. My cat's bigger than his dog. Absolutely, didn't really, didn't really seem very right, man. Not at all. Uh, I'm a little bit out of it today. Uh, we didn't get back until, well, we didn't land, the, the, the plane didn't land until 1 o'clock in the morning. I didn't make it back home until 4.30. So Man. I, I did get a little bit of sleep. Did get a little bit of sleep. But I knew this was going to be the case once uh, I decided to make the move uh, uh, back towards where my kids, uh, that there'd be nights like this. You know, you have an 8 o'clock road game on a Thursday night. Uh, chances are it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit late once you get back home. But um, Christian, as long as you feel you've got some energy, I think I can fake it for the next three hours. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to give that to you, some of that to you as and, well. And it's Super Bowl week. You know, I was, yeah. was talking texting with Phil earlier. I was like, you know, I don't think we talked five minutes about the Super Bowl yesterday, and then we didn't really talk much Wednesday. So uh, I'm I'm excited to kind of break down the Super Bowl, see what uh, the listeners around here think, because in Arkansas, I don't know uh, a lot of Dallas fans. Do you I, want I, Go ahead. I can tell you how I feel. Uh, Let me hear it. I'm a Cowboys fan, as you were just talking about, and I, I in, in no case do I want to see Philadelphia win a Super Bowl. That's what I'm thinking. I, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty difficult sometimes to root for a hated division rival. Mm-hmm. Although, like you can look at it from the other perspective here. Let's say my father tried to convince me of this one time. Um, 
in the 80s with baseball. Let's say that Philadelphia wins the Super Bowl, okay? You finished second place in the division to the Super Bowl champion. If they lose, then it doesn't, I mean, it really doesn't matter where you finished anyway. I'm just trying to perk you up a little bit here, Christian, and the rest of the Cowboys fans. Yeah, it's uh, otherwise, I'm not sure exactly what you root for. I don't know. It's hard to make me happy as a Cowboys fan. Nothing short of a Super Bowl at this point will will do that. Well, uh, it should be a really fun game uh, on Sunday, no doubt. And uh, I, I, I'm actually excited for the idea to listen to the first half because I'm a radio geek. I love listening to these broadcasts. Kevin Harlan, I think, is on the radio call on the Westwood One uh, radio network, and he's he's as good as it gets. So I get a chance to listen to the first half and uh, then probably watch the second half with uh, with the, the Fox crew, the, the number one Fox crew that won't be the number one Fox crew going into 2024. Uh, so, I mean, I love the Super Bowl. Who doesn't love the Super Bowl? Even people that don't watch the NFL still watch the Super Bowl, whether or not they're paying attention during the game or whether it's all about the 16 billion show. bets. So it's supposed to be bad on the Super Bowl. I mean, crazy, right? Well, we'll get into some of the prop bets with Neil Atkinson from Bet Sarah's and later on in the show. Um, also going to talk some Arkansas baseball with former Razorback pitcher James Teague. He'll join us for the first of, uh, well, probably 15 or 16 or 17 weeks, as long as the baseball season goes. We'll have James on from the Teague Law Firm. It's a nice career. He's got started, went from pitching to law. And Aaron Torres joins us in a little bit. We'll get into college basketball. And, of course, I mean, the big news in college I was going to say, have you settled down a little bit, Phil? I know that kind of had you a little bit yesterday with the, with homie hurting his arm. But uh, have we kind of settled down and, and seen the – like, are we going to be okay? I think they'll be fine. Yeah. I really do. It's, it's just um, – there's a couple ways to look at it. One, if you're going to lose a guy that might have been your Friday starting pitcher – um, it's a good thing for it to happen before the season starts so that you don't rely on him as you get into the year. You know, you don't feel like you got to replace somebody that's been really productive for you. Um, and, I mean, if there's a pitching staff that can absorb an injury like this, it's this year's pitching staff. They did last year and made it to Omaha, too, and I think this staff is probably a little, is probably deeper. I don't even think a little bit deeper. I mean, a lot deeper. Um, and and it, it, st- it sucks for Jackson. Um, it may end up costing him a good chunk of change. Um, you know, he'll have a decision to make because he'll be redshirted. He'll have that extra year of eligibility. Come on back, man. Yeah, come on. NIL him. Come on back. Prove yourself and, and, and be a first-round pick. I mean, why? I mean, that, that's the beauty. We talked a little bit about and I and I, I'm going to enjoy getting to talk with you and discuss that, but that's the beauty, I think, of the NIL. You know, a lot of negative going into it, but the, the kind of the the one good thing is it, it could keep you around the next year, and it's not about getting to the NFL or the major leagues or the NBA as quick as you can. It's about getting there at the right time and being in the right situation and being developed and being ready to go. Uh, and it just gives you another opportunity to hang out for a little bit and, and assess yourself, get healthy, and be ready. So when you do go, you're healthy as you can be. I think it presents options for mm-hmm. an athlete, you know, in ways that may not they may not have felt they have the, that option, um, you know, where they may feel pressure to capitalize on the ability to make money through the pros because that's the only way you can make money. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that with James as well. And... Uh, of course, the big news in college sports yesterday is uh, Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC a year earlier than the original contract saw. Um, it's funny because what was it like two weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, there was the reports that 
Um, the talks between the Big 12 and the two schools broke down, and it wasn't going to happen for 2024 and 25. And it all turned out as just a matter of throwing money at the problem, really. I mean, they just had to throw $50 million at uh, the Big 12 and at Fox Television. And、uh, I guess Texas also had to rejigger a two game series with Michigan and flip flop the home and road. And now they'll be part of the SEC in 2024 and,、uh, and 2025. So now we can start the debate on what the schedules will look like, what the, if there will be divisions, and who plays who, and whether or not Oklahoma and Texas are ready for the SEC. I'll tell you what, though, in, in football, there's, there's going to be an adjustment period for these programs. Any team that, that's come into the Southeastern Conference has had an immediate、um, adjustment period. Outside, and the crazy aspect of this, Matt, is like, Didn't Missouri win the East Division their first two years in、Something、the SEC? W- yeah, right. There was, You're was, like, all right, so where's the adjustment? Well, it took them, it was after the division championships that the adjustment started to occur for Missouri football. Because South Carolina, Arkansas, you know, AM, there have been major adjustments. Arkansas entered in 92. I think they won the West in what, 98, 96. So it took four years or so. I think they've won it three times since they entered, three or four times. So that's not bad when considering Arkansas is supposed to be a, a mid level SEC team. Well, now in the, in the other sports, Like, I don't know how much of an adjustment there's. Basketball, OU, and Texas can go. Yeah. In fact, in basketball, Baseball too, the been... rest of the SEC adjusting to Texas and Oklahoma, <laughs> you know? And in baseball, they'll come ready to go. Yeah. You know, it took Arkansas a, a long time to establish themselves in the Southeastern Conference in baseball. Heck, they, I mean, they almost they immediately established themselves in the SEC in basketball because they came ready to go. Yeah, they did. But, I was... but it, took, it took like seven, eight years for the baseball program to really kind of settle into being a Southeastern Conference team and now one of the major powers in the conference. Texas and OU are already baseball powers and they'll come ready to play in that sport as well. Yeah, I was in Hoover when the baseball team won it and I, just winning the SEC tournament. Is, is an incredible feeling. I mean, it's, you know, I think that was Van Horn's first SEC tournament victory, if I'm not it's, mistaken. It's the program's first、yeah. ever SEC tournament win. Yeah. yeah. But of course, that season's also remembered for, you know, what didn't happen, which was not going to Omaha. Yeah.、Um, so, anyway, it's, I mean, it's, an, it's a fascinating conversation to see what this is going to go to because now the Big Ten and the SEC will, at the very same time, become. Uh, is the term super conference proper? I think the SEC is a little more of a super conference in football, but just the overall numbers, man, is,、uh, it's massive. And, I, I, and Matt and I already are disagreeing a little bit on the makeup of, of, of what the football schedule could look like, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Stop by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith at 9390 Rogers Avenue and check out their full selection of Tommy Bahama spirits. Get whisked away to Island Paradise with excellence you can taste. Eastside Liquor carries Tommy Bahama Island Gin, Rye Whiskey, Bourbon Whiskey, Rum, and Tommy Bahama Vodkas, Mango, Cucumber, and Neutral. Get by Eastside Liquor today and try the multiple award winning Tommy Bahama spirits. 
Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL and bowl season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. They're the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. That's B-L-E-A-V. Bet online, where the game starts. Get by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith today and pick up a bottle of the delicious 291 Colorado Bourbon and Rye. Also available, high noon tailgate packs are in stock, so swing by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith for all your game day needs at Eastside Liquor. Now, back to the podcast. Our man Aaron Torres joining us from the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast and Aaron Torres Sports Media here on a Friday edition of Halftime with Arkansas and Mississippi State and the rest of the SEC doing battle on the hardwood tomorrow and, of course, the Super Bowl on Sunday. Aaron, a big sports weekend. I don't know if there's any ever anything bigger than the Super Bowl's concerned, but now you got like seven games left in the regular season for men's college basketball in the SEC, and we got uh, bubbles to talk about, double buys to worry about, and... Um, one of the best, if not the best, player in the country rejoining the Razorbacks. Uh, we assume we uh, expect that Nick Smith Jr. will be on the court tomorrow against Mississippi State, at least if his Instagram live broadcast uh, proves to be true. Yeah, I heard all about this Instagram. Uh, you know, I guess I'm following the wrong people because I didn't hear about it until after the fact. But, you know, listen, they say if it's on the Internet, it must be real. Um, and so, you know, obviously I, I know there was a few players talking about it, all that good stuff. But I, I just bring it up to say, uh, I just bring it up to say that, um, you know, it'll be interesting to follow. It'll be interesting to follow. And um, I'm excited. I hope that we're able to get him onto the court. I hope the rumors are true. And I'm excited to see him. They played well in these last few weeks too without Nick Smith Jr. and it feels like the team has has gelled um, into uh, into various roles. Uh, you see the Mitchell twins really kind of uh, yeah. you know kind of providing a lot of physical uh, physical nature to the team right now. Jordan Walsh off the bench, Devo is the unquestioned leader of the team. Some people yeah. worry about you know about messing up the chemistry, and I mean, really, when you look at this, it's like, yeah, the chemistry will figure itself out when you add a player of Nick Smith's talent. Yeah, somebody else asked me about this yesterday. Um, I, I, I actually do understand the argument. You know, basketball is a team game; five guys on the court, all that. Um, but what I would also say is, if you're going to do it, now is the time because. You know, if this was March 11th or whatever it is, I don't know if today's February 10th, I think the 11th, whatever, but if this was March 11th, then I would have trepidation of, can you get this guy in, can you figure out the pieces, blah, 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 this and that. It's only early to mid-February, and I think what really stands out is, and, and I told somebody else this yesterday, I know you're on this five-game SEC win streak, I, I know it probably should be about a seven-game win streak with the Baylor and Missouri games, but I just bring it up because, you know, I, I sit there and say, if you have to sacrifice a loss now in mid-February to get Nick Smith right for late February, where we know the schedule gets even tougher if that's possible, uh, and then, of course, everything to come in March, I think it's worth it. You know, you want to stay hot. You want to keep doing what you're doing. 
But you you said the words, Phil. I mean, if not the best player in college basketball, he's in the very, very, very short conversation. You just can't leave him on the bench. You know, if he's healthy and if he wants to play and all that, that's a different conversation. But he is healthy enough. He does want to play. Um, and there is enough time to reacclimate him. And so, uh, you know, I've heard that argument. I understand that argument. I've seen it in real life. We have real-life examples of guys trying to join a team late and it just doesn't work out. But... I think because it's only February 10th, because, you know, you have plenty of time to reacclimate them, I think you just got to go ahead and do it. Yeah, it's wild. Arkansas potentially could have four first-round picks. I don't know if they'd all be four first-round picks this year, but in Brazil and Walsh, you know, Walsh maybe next year. Nick's, uh, Anthony Black, man, he has just went. I, I, I haven't seen a better player in the SEC, all-round player. Uh, you might have a guy that can shoot it better. You might have a guy that can rebound better. But the way he sees the floor, the way he controls the game and that Kentucky game just stands out. He's been getting better each week. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, he's gone. He, he's going to be a top 10 pick this year. Well, I think two things stand out, Matt. You know, one, I mean, the, the defensive energy he brought early in the second half changed that game. And, and, you know, that was what allowed Arkansas to build that lead that they didn't give up. So that's one. Um, and then two, you know, I was thinking about this after the game is, you know, we did our, our freshman All-American teams at, at AT or midseason freshman All-American teams at AT online the other day. And, you know, in looking at his stats, and, you know, me and a couple other guys voted on it, but I, I don't know why we don't appreciate. I mean, this guy's averaging what? I don't have the stats in front of me. What is it? 13 and a half, 5 and 4 and a half, or something well, like he's that? He's a facilitator. He's, he's not a score first guy. He, he's going to score more when he in his seventh year in the league. No, 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 no. Matt, 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 that's a compliment. Yeah. 13 and a half, 5 and 4 and a half as a freshman in the SEC is incredible. That's what I'm saying is, like, I don't know why he's not getting more credit for everything that he's already done. And, again, he's shooting the ball at a great clip. The defensive energy is changing games. I'm with, I'm with you. Now, Brandon Miller is the best freshman not only in the SEC in college basketball, but why Anthony Black has not gotten more credit for his play, I'm agreeing with you, Matt. I, I think he's gone completely under the radar nationally. It felt like we talked about him in that Creighton game, and then we didn't talk about him again until the Kentucky game two nights ago. Yeah, he just get he's just getting better. What what are your thoughts on Oklahoma and Texas? How, how do they help the SEC? And and is there any more teams coming to the SEC? You think in the next four or five years? What I think is interesting about that move, and and I I, I always thought it was going to happen. You know, with the college football playoff expanding to twenty twenty four, it never made sense for me to keep Texas and Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. The last thing you want is for Texas or Oklahoma to make the playoff and go on a run as a member of the Big 12 and then immediately leave. So I always thought it was going to get done. You know, obviously the football perspective is what's interesting, and I know it's a big conversation today, what the scheduling model looks like. Here was a thought that I had, though. From the basketball perspective, do we know who either head coach is going to be when they enter the league? Because Texas is obviously no one knows right now. I actually give Ronnie Terry credit. I think he's doing a great job of, of trying to keep that job full-time, and I think he's earned that right based on what we've seen so far. But Oklahoma's going sideways in a hurry. There's rumors that Porter Mosier is trying to figure out a way to get out of there and get out of his contract there. So from the basketball perspective, I think it's hard to tell. Obviously, from the football perspective, it is fascinating. One, from the scheduling model. Two, where is Texas? Three, Oklahoma could either be a lot better than they were last year or they could be a train wreck coming in. So, uh, you know, from the basketball perspective, there's not much. And I know this is kind of basketball season, but it is such a fascinating thing to peel back the layers of when you talk about it from the football perspective. 
Yeah, on the football perspective, nobody with the Longhorns or the Sooners wants to admit that there's going to be this adjustment period. That there, yes. it, I mean, Matt and I were getting into this in the, in the previous segment. Like, it's shocking to think about that Missouri actually won the East Division. The I think it was the first two years that they joined the SEC. That's a head scratcher. That's an outlier. That will not happen with Texas and with Oklahoma. Although, by the time Texas comes in, Arch Manning will be ready to go. Who knows how good he'll be, you know, right off the jump. But, I mean, there is that adjustment period with football. And, I mean, and part of that is the nature of the sport. You can remake teams in basketball a lot easier. The two baseball programs come in just ready to compete, I think, at the SEC level. But with football, like, I don't think anybody with OU or Texas or the fans really want to admit it. But they know. They know. It, it's going to be like a, it's going to be a couple years, three years before they're able to build that line of scrimmage up. Or maybe I'm not looking at it the right way, Aaron, because of the transfer portal and how quickly teams can change. I, I mean, I, I that was one of my takeaways. I think yesterday the two biggest losers were Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian. And again, they'll never admit it. And, you know, Brent Venables has done all these interviews. You know, he's got a clock with the exact, you know, it was set to whatever, July 1, 2025, or whatever it was, whatever the date was. So I don't know if he had to get a new clock or, or get it fixed or what, but, you know, listen, it, it is going to be an adjustment, and, and we all know. I mean, this is stuff that, that everybody knows, is that it's not the one-off game, right? Texas can look great against Alabama like they did last year in Austin, but then can you go on the road the next week to Oxford or Fayetteville or College Station or whatever and keep that same momentum and intensity? So... I'm with you, Phil, is that, you know, and I'll say this, too, is that, you know, from the Texas perspective, okay, Sark is going into year three. You mentioned the portal, uh, two top five recruiting classes. I got to see something on the field from Brent Venables this year because, you know, the offense last year, okay, whatever, Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. But the defense is supposed to be his area of expertise. And, you know, I don't know how much you guys hear the noise being down in that area, but I guess on the national scale, there's a lot of the, you know, well, Lincoln Riley, it's all Lincoln Riley. It's like the defense wasn't that bad under, like, the defense statistically actually the best defense that Lincoln Riley has ever had was in his final season at Oklahoma, and they were the worst defense last year statistically for Brent Venables or, or, or in the Big 12 last year under Brent Venables. So, you know, listen, Oklahoma was very aggressive in the portal, especially along the defensive front, um, but... I need to see on the field that he is the, the right coach for Oklahoma and that they have a roster ready to compete because I'm with you, Phil, is, listen, it was going to come at some point. By the way, we can go back to the day this announcement happened. I, I still think it's a big part of the reason why Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma in the first place. So there's a lot of variables, but as I said, I think the biggest losers yesterday coming out of this were Brent Venables and Steve Sarkeesian, who I know would have loved another year to build up their rosters. So we got Sunday, we got the Super Bowl going. Uh, do you think Jalen Hurts is ready? Uh, ha, ha, what, what are your thoughts on this Philly-Kansas City matchup? You know, I guess my big thought is is that, you know, uh, what I keep going back to is this, is, is I get the notion that Philly has the better across-the-board roster. I'm not going to argue that. But I also go back to the, the Super Bowl two years ago when Tampa played KC, and we were ready to crown KC a dynasty and this and that. And they really got kind of, again, to what we just talked about, they got kind of punked along the line of scrimmage. And so I think this year that Philly front is so good, but I also think KC has lived through that 
two years ago, and I think they'll be more prepared. I think they'll have a game plan to get the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands quick. I think Mahomes is just a different quarterback. I mean, I think, you know, you know, there were the, the, he's never been bad or anything, but he had, you know, some, a down month to six weeks two seasons ago. Uh, and I think this year he's done an incredible job adjusting to Tyreek Hill without Tyreek Hill. And so, you know, maybe it's really square from the, the betting perspective. I like, you know, I know, I understand why Philly's a favorite. I do like KC. Not a knock on Jalen Hurts. He's one of my all time favorite college athletes to follow and cover and be around. But, you know, I just, I'm not betting against Mahomes in two straight Super Bowls. I think there, there were a lot of lessons learned from that loss to Tampa two years ago. Where do you watch the game? How do you watch the game? And do you allow yourself to be around, you know, more than, more than five people for the Super Bowl? Cause, you know, we're the sort of people that want to watch the game, hear what the announcers are saying, and maybe listen to the commercials and things like that. But then when you're around all these other people, it's like, give me my own room. Give me my own room. So how does Aaron Torres watch the Super Bowl? You know, it's really funny. Um, so my in-laws were not born in the United States, and so they don't really understand football. So one year we tried to do the big thing, have them over for the Super Bowl, and it was that Rams-Patriots Super Bowl that was literally the most boring game ever. It was like 10-6 to 6 was the final score or something like that. And I think they, they swore off football from that point on. So we, uh, my wife and I usually order a pizza. She kind of does watch for the commercials. I'll watch, you know, for the game itself, and she'll probably be halfway on her phone. Um, but I just bring it up to say that, that we'll have fun, but we're not a big uh, group party kind of group. So Fair enough. Yeah, you got to like five, six people is like the maximum to watch the game. You I get any more than that, it's hard to watch. Well, and we, you know, I know you guys have a lot of stuff to break down, and I, it's not my area where I'm going to break it down. But I mean, one, I, you know, I, not to say this in the, like a humble brag, like I host national radio, we will be talking about it the following week. But you know, even on my podcast, I mean, every, it, every listen, every single person that's going to listen to you guys on Monday has watched the Super Bowl. The same with whoever is going to listen to my Monday podcast. So, like, the idea that I haven't paid attention, or I had too many to drink, or I had too many people in the room. Like, it is kind of our job to, you know, at least kind of be monitoring what's going on. So, like I said, for I'm with you, Matt. I, you know, five to six stops is the most, and, um, and yeah. Well, well that's so, why. Uh, it, it's fun. That's why yeah. I ask you about uh, the, the SC, I mean, the, the, the who is the all-five freshman team? Because I watch Arkansas basketball, and I watch whoever they play. Brandon Miller didn't really show out against Arkansas, but who is your top five when, y'all, when you said you voted on the uh, All-American SC, or All-American basketball for the freshmen? Freshman, I'm trying to remember. Well, Brandon Miller, obviously, uh, Grady Dick from Kansas is having a great year. He's actually a very important piece for them. Anthony Black was up there. You know, Kaysen Wallace is quietly, mm-hmm. like, he's really Kentucky's only consistent player this year. Like, I, I think he's maybe, yeah. yeah, he's maybe their best guard, and maybe since the Malik Monk, De'Aaron Fox team of, of about six, seven years ago now. So those are the guys that stand out. You know, the SEC has quite a few there's others nationally that I'm blanking on, but Anthony Black's right there. And to go back to your question, Matt, I thought it was such a great point by you, is like, I don't know why he's not getting more credit. Maybe it's because Arkansas was struggling, but again, it's almost like what I just said with Case and Wallace. It's not Case and Wallace's fault if Kentucky is, is flatlining. And Anthony Black has been so consistent and so much, and Muss has been talking about this since June, but like so much has been asked of him. And then on top of that, you know, we thought Nick Smith would be able to take some of the playmaking away from him. That hasn't happened. So it's just been surreal. It's just been surreal to watch. And, and again, I just don't think he gets enough credit. 
Hey, uh, last thing I wanted to ask you about, and I, I thought about this um, from the end of the Tennessee Vandy basketball game a couple of nights ago. You know, uh, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, Phillips not going for the dunk. It was the fact that the foul gave them one and one instead of what you see across almost every other level of basketball. The NBA, you, you know, you, when you're in the bonus, you get two shots. In women's basketball, you get in the bonus, you get two shots. And then the, those levels, too, timeouts, you advance the ball into the half court. Men's college basketball stands alone. As as far as I know, the only level of basketball that has a, a, a one and one, um, you know, up until the seventh foul, and you don't advance on a timeout. So my question for you, Aaron, is 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 men's college basketball the only true basketball being played, or yeah. do you need to go the way the other t- the other leagues are doing things? I'll tell you a funny story really quick, and I'll try to be quick. I know we're up on time. I actually was on a guest on Sirius NBA Radio one time. I think it was around the NBA draft, and they brought me on to talk prospects. I got in, like, a shouting match with the host because he started he, – he, like, very passingly said, well, you know, obviously the NBA rule where you advance the ball past half court is – that's obviously just, like, the right way to do it. And I was like, no, it isn't. And he's like, but it makes the game so much more fun. And I was like – and, Phil, you'll appreciate this. I literally said it on air. I said – yeah, we could bring out we could bring out metal bats and have a home run derby to end games in baseball, but we don't do that because it makes no sense. And I said it doesn't make sense to just advance the ball. Like, like I just got into this like screaming match with the guy, and it was like fun, but it was like very like feisty because I just like I don't understand how anyone is in favor of advancing the basketball. Now the one and one that's a different whatever, but like advancing the basketball, it's just so counterintuitive to everything that happens throughout the rest of the game that I just don't get why, like, okay, it makes for a more fun game. It doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do, right? Like, you know, we could go to, uh, you know, a punt passing kick competition, decide games in overtime. It'd be entertaining. It doesn't mean that that's the way we should end football games. So it's a, it's a, it's one of, uh, AT's big sticking points. I hate the advancing the ball rule. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world. Uh, and I'll be honest, I've never really given much thought to the one-and-one. One. I, I, it never really occurred to me that nobody else does it except for college. But I hate, I hate with a passion, the same way that Phil and Matt hate people ruining their Super Bowl viewing parties, I hate advancing the ball to half court in the NBA. I hate it. I think it's so stupid. That's a good way to end our talk here, AT. With but a little I, fire in the belly. I do love to see Andy Reid in that punt, pass, and kick competition. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It'd be entertaining. It'd be entertaining. Yeah, that, that'd be a great way to end it. It's just, it's just dumb. So anyway, guys, I got to run. Thank you both. Uh, enjoy the game, and we'll talk next week, okay? Aaron, appreciate you, man. Have a great weekend. Introducing Your Choice Tuesday at Buffalo Wild Wings. Buy one, get one 50% off on our traditional wings on Tuesdays. Then the best thing about Thursday at Buffalo Wild Wings is buy one, get one free on our boneless wings. Both offers are now available for dine-in and carry-out. Some exclusions apply. Visit your Buffalo Wild Wings in Bryant, Little Rock, Sherwood, Conway, Fort Smith, and in Jonesboro. Buffalo Wild Wings. Roar! Eastside Liquor has more than just liquor. They also have wellness products and now carry Marley CBD gummies. They come in amazing flavors like Island Punch and Coconut Vanilla. They come in 200 milligram tin packs, so stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue and pick some up today. Now, back to the podcast.
Well, they're lining up outside Neville Arena in Auburn for tomorrow's Alabama-Auburn basketball game. Wonder if anybody's lined up outside Bud Walton Arena. Now, those are the students, of course, that are waiting for the student gate to open. Uh, they're going to 1 o'clock tip-off tomorrow. If you're uh, one of the students lined up for Arkansas-Mississippi State, you can be lined up a little bit longer with a 5 o'clock tip. ESPNU will take it tomorrow. And, of course, we'll have... The entire broadcast with Chuck and Zim beginning at 4.30 with the Learfield pregame, 5.02 tip. Usually a 5.02 tip. All depends on what's going on in front of the game on ESPNU. And then hog reaction later on as uh, the Hogs and the Mississippi State Bulldogs do battle for the only time they do it this season. Women's team took one on the chin yesterday. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's a bad loss. Vanderbilt, team that Arkansas beat earlier this year by one point. And, uh, man, I mean, I'd like to say that uh, the Razorbacks just kind of caught a bad break or something. But last night, Vanderbilt was just the better team on the court. It might not mean that they're the better team overall, but uh, they were the better team yesterday. Won 78-70 uh, to 70 over Arkansas. The Hogs trailed for nearly 37 minutes. Uh, had the lead for a little over a uh, minute 50. And they had a lead late in the third quarter after Michaela Daniels knocked down a three. <clears throat> Daniels, by the way, played her her her, uh, her butt off, 31 points in 37 minutes. Um, just didn't get enough production from other spots. Chrissy Carr added 18, but uh, just about everybody else scored under their average. And uh, even though they had the lead late in the third quarter, Vandy closed the quarter on a 9-2 to run, and um, Arkansas kind of uh, was held in an arm's length for the entire fourth quarter. So that's five losses in the last six games and a time where even Mike had mentioned on the pregame talk yesterday, I mean, you want, everybody knows it. You want, to get, you want to be playing your best basketball in the month of February, and they're waiting for Arkansas to peak. And you know, right now, they haven't, they haven't peaked um, up until, I'd say, the peak so far was early January, uh, the first couple of weeks into the month of January. And it's a team that's kind of searching for themselves right now, uh, not getting much bench production. Uh, and Mike had mentioned it yesterday. Um, the scoring in some of the games recently has kind of been dominated by one player. You had Aaron Barnum score 37 in the loss to Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago and then 31 from Mack and not enough from other sources. He said, and maybe this is, maybe most teams are like this, um, where when you spread things out, when you get five players in double figures, they do really well instead of one player dominating and, and you know, other, other, other sources kind of uh, go a little bit cold. Man, that makes Monday's game against Missouri pretty darn important. Uh, five games remaining to uh, secure that uh, NCAA berth. I think Arkansas right now, um, after yesterday's loss to Vandy, and that was only Vandy's second conference win uh, right now. They might be on the bubble. Very well might be on the bubble. Uh, 877-377-6963. You know, the men's team, though, Matt, and remember, this was, was this about a month ago? Where where I remember us talking about yeah they're not going to get a they're not going to end up getting a double buy in 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 uh, in Nashville mm-hmm. and it's still you know it's not like it's expected there's no room for error right now there's to get a it, chance yeah. there to do it yeah if they went out and get a little help they could they could get that four spot well right now Arkansas at six and five is tied with Mizzou and with Florida uh, for let's see here that would be sixth place in the league. 
And you get Florida. Um, you get mm. Florida next Saturday. So that would decide a tiebreaker between the two teams. Hogs split with Mizzou. So I'm not sure what the, what the, what the, the next tiebreaker is. Um, the teams ahead of the Gators and the Tigers and the Hogs are Auburn and Kentucky. Um, Auburn, just like Arkansas does, they've got Alabama and Tennessee and Kentucky to close out the season. The thing is, though, is this Auburn-Alabama game tomorrow, Matt, that's the first of two games that the Tigers have to take on, who is right now head and shoulders the best SEC basketball team in the Crimson Tide. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty tough schedule looking ahead for Auburn. Bama, Mizzou, at Vandy. Vandy, all of a sudden, they get Liam Robbins back, and they're a whole different team. You know, that's, that's a tough place to play. Tennessee already has figured that out, and maybe Auburn will as well. Then Ole Miss, Kentucky, Alabama, and Tennessee. That's an incredibly tough last seven games for Auburn, with Ole Miss really the only walkover. Looking at Kentucky's uh, schedule here now. Uh, Kentucky at Georgia tomorrow. Then they're at Mississippi State. Then Tennessee at Florida, Auburn, Vandy, and, of course, Arkansas. You'd say that uh, Kentucky doesn't have the toughest, but they do get some teams that are playing some decent basketball here and there. That last game. Auburn and, of course, Arkansas. That last game of the season, Phil, could could be for the double bye. That that could be one of those games where you kind of, if we take care of business going forward, uh, you you got to think Alabama probably holds serve. Uh, I, I, I be tough to see Alabama getting beat. They might take one. You know, they there's there's still college kids might might take one L, but A and M is going to be a tough. I mean, they're they're not an easy out. You're right. That that last game of the season against Kentucky could be for for the double bye. Well, we knew it would matter quite a lot as far as the standings were concerned. It's just you remember the preseason poll showed Kentucky number one. Arkansas number two, and we kind of thought that that game might decide a regular season championship. Not going to be the case. Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith has whip shots. Whip shots from Cardi B is vodka-infused whipped cream in flavors like vanilla, caramel, mocha, and peppermint. With 10% alcohol content, these whipped cream shots will make any night a celebration. And they're great on pumpkin pie. Stop by Eastside Liquor today and pick up a can of whip shots at 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith. Now, back to the podcast. So who's ready to watch Arkansas versus Texas again on the football field in 2024? Because I'm here to tell you, it's going to happen. It might not be on the schedule right now, but I think it is on the way. And I think you're going to end up watching Arkansas versus Texas every single year. Do you think there'll be a a constant, if you were to say? Because I know we're kind of different on how you think it's going to align and and how they're going to rotate. I think if they're in the same division... Obviously, there'll be a constant if they're both in the West Division. But if you you thinking they're all just going to play each other, would they be one of their three teams that you think Arkansas played? Or how, how would you do that? Who who would be the? I mean, where's the advantages there? Man, I mean, there's so many. There, like Arkansas doesn't have the rivalries inside the SEC that a lot of the other programs do. That like you think you have a rivalry with LSU, but LSU will point to two. It's of a trophy game. It matters. Yeah. More. Yeah. You have a rivalry with Ole Miss. Ole Miss will point to a couple of other schools that they might view a little bit differently. Um, man, you already have one built in with Texas. And, and I really think that the SEC wants Arkansas and Missouri to be a thing. 
Um, otherwise, they wouldn't have been the crossover opponent to begin with. I think you're going to be stuck with Missouri. I saw, um, I saw other, you know, prognostications, predictions, what have you, about what this might look like. And I saw somebody said Arkansas will play Oklahoma, Texas, and Missouri on an annual basis. You're like, all right, well, I guess Arkansas did join the Big 12. But wow. I, don't like, I don't like that yeah. idea. I saw another one that said they'd play against Kentucky which felt a little bit awkward. Kentucky, Texas, and Missouri. Well, if you get basketball, if you're thinking, I, I guess they're going to do it all different. I like that. I like that. I, I like having an OU or Texas, but I, I definitely think that Texas matchup would be key. That, that, basketball, yeah. you're going to play. You're going to play every everybody every year. Yeah, it doesn't it'll matter just, as much. Yeah, it'll end up just being, what is the, the schedule at now? 18? So you'll have a couple of teams that you play twice, and that's it. Uh, with baseball, you know, you got to figure that out, too, because they're not going to increase the number of league games. They already have 30 league games played. If you play everybody once, uh, that would be, what, three times 15? Uh, it would be 45, yeah. Out of a 56-game schedule. So I 40, you see, can't do that. It's yeah. already a meat grinder. I don't see, I don't see that happening. So you're, they'll have to figure out a way to do that and probably have permanent opponents of some sort. Uh, and and then rotating opponents. Uh, I really do think the SEC will be doing away with divisions. The Big Ten's already said they're going to do that. I think divisions will be a uh, will be a bygone thing in in, in major college football. Uh, and I think I think they're gonna... missing out. Yeah, I think you have your East and your West and your football. You're able to play for that 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 right to go instead of taking your best two. I I don't know, but they they're, they are expanding it to twelve team playoff. Well, and so, yeah, that's true. That, that Expanding it to 12 allows you to do that, I think. But it's also, you know, like uh, Arkansas plays, what, Florida every six years. They'll play South Carolina, South Carolina yeah. every six years, Georgia every six years. So it's tough to feel like you're in a league with those teams. Otherwise, it's like what the American League and National League used to be like. When they first started interleague play, it actually felt like a – uh, like, you know, wow, we're playing somebody we don't ever play anymore. But it, uh, in football, it doesn't quite have that kind of pull. Um, you, I feel like, and, and I think this is, the, this is the way the league is, is going towards, you'll end up playing the same three teams on an annual basis. It's not called a pod. It's just everybody has three permanent opponents. And then you'll end up rotating either the five games that are left, or if they advance to seven to a, to a nine game schedule, six that are left, and you'll play everybody on a two year basis, and it'll feel more like a league. Um, otherwise, like just do the divisions, and then you're playing what? Then you would have two eight team divisions. You'd play seven games in your division, and then have you'd two, play one or two against the other division. One of them, and would they be, rotate. Yeah, one of them would probably be a, a, a permanent opponent. The SEC, Missouri. Like well, if Missouri's going to be on the West, you could do a Kentucky then, if you wanted to go that way. Mm-hmm. I, th- but, but, um, I, I also, I also think that there is some value to doing to making sure that it's the top, and it's not like the SEC has dealt with this on too much on an annual basis, like. Alabama and Georgia have been the dominant teams in this league in each division for a few years now. So it's not quite the same as like when Missouri won the SEC East and they couldn't match up to, you know, to the Alabama Crimson Tide or if they played Auburn in the conference championship. But that happens in the Big Ten every year, though, where the West Division champion is nowhere near as competitive as the East Division champion. And what is it? Like, I think the East Division has won nine of the last ten Big Ten championship games, if not all ten of them. Uh, the SEC hasn't quite been in that direction. 
but I do think they'll want to have number one versus number two it's, to have a, to have the feel of it being really the two best teams in the league instead of two division champions. I wouldn't schedule anybody but an FCS school for out of conference. If you got OU, Texas, and you still have, and then you you get Alabama, LSU, Georgia. I mean, you look at who you got to play, and then you got to go again and play an SEC championship game. I mean, that is the SEC is already the toughest conference in college football. You're just making it that much tougher. But if you're getting 12 teams in, maybe you you get three teams in every year, so you got a good chance to make to make Make that tournament. If you're getting three every year out of the SEC, that'd be, you, you got a chance to win the win win the win the national championship. Don't you feel like you're already like slotting three of those twelve teams to the Southeastern Conference already? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it just kind of feels like that's the way it's going to go right now. Because this year you would have you would have had Georgia, Alabama, and Tennessee mm-hmm. amongst those top twelve. You know, even even though Tennessee kind of. You know, faltered at the end. They 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 would have made it there. I don't remember what the rankings looked like, but I'm I'm pretty sure they'd have made it there. But you know what this does? You know, like if once the SEC makes the decision to go to a nine game schedule, um, they're going to have to blow up some contracts for non conference games. You realize Georgia is like scheduled out all the way through 2030. Mm. Through 2030, they've got four non-conference games scheduled for every year, and but that's going on what they then assumed would remain an eight-game conference schedule. But you're going to move to nine, which means, like, look at the next four years. So uh, next season, you, you'll have your usual schedule of what you've been used to, and then you can play your non-conference Western Carolina, Kent State, BYU, and Florida International. In 24... When OU and Texas join the league, and we know what the schedule looks like by then, and they've probably advanced to nine games, who's off the schedule? Mm-hmm. UAPB at Oklahoma State, Alabama-Birmingham, and Louisiana Tech. Who's off that schedule? Or who do you push you take Oklahoma later State on off. in the decade? Yeah, you, t- you, you push Oklahoma State off. If you're adding OU and Texas to your, to your, to your schedule... Um, Keep it. I, I like that UAB. I like the Kent States of the world, the Western Kentuckys, the hill to, the Hilltoppers. You know, they're uh, that's what they're good for. You know, we got we got to get a dub. Well, you get a four game series scheduled with Oklahoma State, um, but there is some leeway. You know, you you got three games scheduled in twenty six. You got two in twenty seven, two in twenty eight. So that's when you can start pushing some of those con- those non-conference teams th- back. And, and and if you do this, Phil, if Oklahoma State does come to the SEC in three years, four years, and then you have two 10-team SEC divisions, and then you can play everybody in your division, then you play each other. That's what I think they're eventually going to go to, but we might be six years, seven years down the road for that because couldn't you see Oklahoma State and Baylor coming into the SEC and then you add in, add in two other guys on that SEC or the East Coast around there if it was know, Florida it, State? It, or It feels to me right now like the big 12 is in addition mode not subtraction mode. okay i think the acc would be the more poachable of the like a florida state yeah like a florida state that's exactly right like a clemson you know maybe a miami although i'm not sure miami has a fit but i mean geographically they certainly are and and at that georgia tech yeah you get to you get to 18 teams you get to 20 teams then we can throw the term super conference around then then you're doing what like major league baseball used to do where the two divisions don't play each other ever until it's a conference championship you have a true conference championship yep take number number ones versus number ones then it's a whole different framework of the way college football has ever worked and it would be a little wild. All right, so Paul in Midway texted in. He wa- I think he wants a whole segment about hatred for Texas. 
<laughs> his last that's every day show yeah well, it's, it's, his, it's, there's an underlying theme of, of of texas and tennessee you can go on yeah there, there's a well when clay is on with us and yeah. you're going on texas that's that's like um that's like that's adding fuel seeing orange yeah paul in midway has a real hatred for texas as most of you do but he fired off four texts in a four minute period uh, all about hating texas he says matt jones hates texas as much as i do could we have a hatred off could we have a Texas hate off between some listeners and you and Clay Henry? Because I don't like Texas, but I think it's kind of more ingrained in in. I don't you know and anybody and a lot of our listeners that's a fan of Texas around here. I, I couldn't tell you one person. It's like, yeah, I kind of like Texas. I think it's in the water in in Arkansas. I think it's just it's just how it is. How you grown up? Yeah, they say um, hatred can uh, can burn you from the inside out, right? It kind of keeps the flame going here in Arkansas, you know, the hatred of Texas. Yeah, I was a TJ Ford fan, a, a Kevin Durant fan. There's players that I've liked that have went through. To Derek Brooks, you know, there's guys that have played at Texas that I'm a fan of. But just in general, yeah, Texas, We it's always a good day when Texas loses. It's not like you rooted for them when they played for Texas because you know a lot better than that, Matt Jones. That's for sure. No, I didn't root for them. I'm just, there's a talent there. You know, it's like you see a soccer player go to your other team. You're like, man, I don't like Arsenal, but I like some of the players. They have soccer is getting so good. Are you in need of an attorney? Hickey and Hull Law Partners is your firm. Hickey and Hull understand the importance of client communication, meeting with you, responding to emails, and returning calls. Hickey and Hull are attorneys you can trust to guide you through a divorce or a custody case, criminal charges, or even civil lawsuit, ready to put their seven decades of experience to work for you and get the best results. Every case is important. Hickey and Hull Law Partners strive to give each client the time and attention it deserves. Visit them at KevinHickeyLaw.com. Hickey and Hull Law Partners. Things are about to get better. And now, back to the podcast. Been looking forward to this segment since uh, the deal was signed recently. James Teague joining halftime every Friday right about now. Talk some Arkansas baseball. James, of course, a former Razorback pitcher. He appeared... With the Hogs, uh, parts of three seasons from 2014 through 2016. Of course, part of that 2015 College World Series ball club. And James also represents the Teague Law Firm. So uh, from the pitcher's mound to the uh, courtroom, James. Not the only guy who's done it, but that happened pretty quickly. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's good to, good to touch base and check in. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. We got baseball in a week, man. I mean, there's a... Uh, there's excitement abounding, though a little. Uh, there's excitement. I wouldn't say that it's disappointment. It's just you're disappointed for the injury to Jay, uh, to uh, to uh, Jackson Wiggins uh, because I mean the kid's got a lightning arm, and I think he uh, there were heavy expectations on on him for this year. And reports and I saw him pitch a little in the fall. He'd had himself a great fall season. Uh, you just you never know with those elbow injuries, though. It's like. There's a rash of those injuries, and it's been a long time now in baseball for the last 15, 20 years, James. What, um, have you ever, did you ever deal with an elbow injury uh, like that? You didn't have to have Tommy John while you pitched at Arkansas, but did you ever deal with elbow injuries? So I did not, but you know, I think we're seeing injuries a little bit more common in today's game. You know, we're seeing guys throwing much higher velocities, and we're seeing, you know, it's not uncommon to have multiple guys, 95, 96, 97, and I think the reality is there's just more injuries that, that come with that. You know, it's really tough to see him go down at the start of the season. There's so much enthusiasm and excitement. And 
you know, how's it going to shape up and everything. And, you know, it's terrible to see. Uh, me personally, I had some, some injuries here and there, some nagging injuries, but no major surgeries, no Tommy John. But, you know, it, it's hard to say it's not always in the back of your mind when you feel a pinch in the elbow of, you know, is this the one that's going to take me out? So, you know, like you said, uh, it is really tough to see. You know, I think fortunately we've got a lot of depth from the pitching position, and I think we can fill that role. But it's it's really tough to replace, you know, a projected top-round pick that just was showing so much potential at the start of the year. I was going to ask about the idea of the, of that always being in the back of your mind. Like, even if you're not injured, if you don't feel that tweak, it's just it, – it, was, it, was it like a feeling like – because um, you threw hard enough. I mean, you weren't 100 miles an hour or anything like that, but I remember watching you. You got it into the 90s, and it's like you can't you, – you trust you trust your conditioning. You trust what your coach is, is, is doing with you. You've worked on your mechanics, you know, for, for you know, almost uh-huh. since you were born almost in some cases. But there's just like the idea that it's an unnatural motion, you know, throwing above your head like that. That's why softball pitchers can throw, you know, 21 innings on a weekend on occasion. And, you know, baseball pitchers need three weeks in order to get that done. It's just an unnatural motion. So I guess that's just something that's stuck in the back of your mind sometimes that this could just happen because injuries to pitchers like that occur. Yeah, and, and that's exactly right. I don't always think is there's a reason or there's something to blame or to say it was this or that or this program or throwing. You know, sometimes these things just happen. And, uh, you know, some people's mechanics, I think, make them more prone to this type of injury. But, you know, there's a lot of throwing that goes into being a Division One pitcher. You know, there's a lot of prep work, a lot of throwing, a lot of bullpens, a lot of games and Sometimes it just works out a way that, you know, these injuries happen. But, you know, I know that he'll bounce back. Uh, he'll have the surgery. I saw he's already scheduled uh, down there in Arlington to have it with the doctor down there. And, you know, I, I think that he's going to be great. It just stinks, obviously, as a Hog fan, not to get to see him perform, you know, and show out as we were kind of hoping this would kind of be his big breakout season to be the guy that we kind of always thought he maybe could have been to actually kind of put all the pieces together. James, Matt Jones here. Um, as a former player, I always liked uh, every every year meeting with the officials and the referees and kind of going over some rule changes. What are your thoughts on this 10-run rule, and as a player, or would you be for it? Well, Matt, good, good to check in with you. You know, um, I'm kind of in the middle. I like the traditional rules. I like the game to kind of stay as it is, but I also recognize some people – like to see things sped up. They like to see the game progress and, you know, whether it be a pitch clock or it be, you know, this, this run rule, you know, we see changes at the major league level happening all the time. And then now college level uh, lagging behind a little bit. You know, I'm not, I wouldn't necessarily necessarily say I'm for it or against it, but um, you know, there's always going to be both sides of that when you're messing with a game that, you know, has those kind of those purists, those traditionals who love to just see the game as it's always been. Did you ever have you seen any games with the pitch clock yet? I watched some minor league baseball games last year that used the pitch clock, and you couldn't even tell, but you could tell the game was moving along at, and it's not a brisk pace. I think it's moving along more at the pace that the game was intended to be played at, kind of the way they played it in the fifties and the sixties and the seventies before things really started to slow down. Uh, and you know the pitch clock is going to be a thing for college baseball this year. They'll paying, they're paying a heck of a lot more attention to it. As a pitcher, you know, you want to be able to set the pace to the game, but faster is always better than slower, isn't it? Well, if you're throwing a lot of strikes, faster is better. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, if you, if you get off a little bit, then 
you need to slow down, you need to regroup, you know, you need to have a mound visit, you know, kind of do these things. I think for guys who like to stay in the groove, they like to work quick, they like to, you know, attack hitters, faster usually is better. Um, so I think the pitchers can kind of dictate that based on, you know, how they're doing and what their preference is. I agree with you. I, I don't think that the hitter needs to step out and adjust his gloves and look at the sky and, you know, mess around outside the box between every pitch. I, I think the faster pace is better for for fans and for pitchers and for players. Um, but maybe, maybe there's a middle ground there, not, not a strict clock that needs to be enforced, but um, like you just stated, uh, the game seems to be kind of following the path of what it would anyways if the pitch clock wasn't there. I think that's where it's supposed to be. A lot of expectations for this this Arkansas baseball team. We saw the football team be a, a top 10 team for a little bit. We saw the basketball team be in the top 25s, and both of them kind of faltered out. Uh, do you think this baseball team uh, can hold up and, and, and be a top 10 team and make it back to Omaha this year? I do. I think and that's because of the depth that I think this team brings. I think, you know, to really make a run late in the season, you need that depth. And one thing that I think Van Horn does such a tremendous job at is putting the pieces together as the season goes along. You know, some days we get blown out at home in a midweek and, you know, fans are upset. And, you know, understandably so, but, you know, there's things that we're learning from those games. We're learning, you know, who can produce, who can't, who can we trust in the big spot, maybe who isn't ready yet. You know, and the same with the starting rotation. You know, who's going to give us some depth? Who's going to give us some innings? Who can get who can get out? And so, I think when you have a lot of depth, especially from the pitching staff, you're going to be able to move those pieces around as the season goes on and figure out, okay, when we get into conference play, when we get closer to the end of the season, what have we learned throughout the course of the season to know that we now have the pieces in the right spot? And I think Hobbs and Van Horn are just do a, tr- a tremendous job at that. I think that's why we see them have success year in and year out. They, they not only have great players, they create a great culture, but they also know how to put the pieces together. And fortunately, this year, we have a lot of pieces to work with from a pitching staff, from all the reports from the fall and everything else. Well, what it means at times, and you are this kind of pitcher, you got to be ready to go in at a moment's notice. Because you got to be like a Swiss Army knife. James, in his career, made 49 appearances as a pitcher at Arkansas. 12 starts. The rest were in relief. And there's a season where he about split things evenly between the bullpen and the starting rotation. So I'm assuming there, you know, you're given at least like 24 hours a little bit more notice before you start in most cases. Mm-hmm. But you still have to be ready no matter what. And that's one thing. That's an aspect of this pitching staff. I think the rotation could change. Every once in a while, if they feel like a pitcher needs a weekend off because they don't need to ride anybody so hard, at least that's the way that it looks going into the season. But, um, you know, it's different like in the majors where you kind of know your starting pitchers are the starting pitchers. You know your relievers are the relievers. Things don't shake out that way until sometimes they don't shake out ever. It's just, you know, roles change throughout a college baseball season. And that's one thing that stood out to me once I started doing the college broadcast, James, is rotations don't always stay the same relief rules don't always stay the same you just got to be ready man mm-hmm. yeah i think we saw a great example of that with hagan smith last year you know, he's really really did well throughout this course of the year as a starter and then we get into regional play and he's coming out of the bullpen you know and he, we kind of saw a little bit of a different guy a little bit of a different mentality and you know for him i think shaking that up and kind of getting him back into attack mode out of the bullpen was what he needed to get kind of get back on track you know, and, and we may see some of that this year with, with Freddie Tiger, whether he, you know, continues to be in that relief position, kind of that closer role, or if they can stretch him into a starter. You know, I think, you know, 
before Wiggins went down, there was maybe going to be some of that with him as well. I think he was, you know, pegged in to be a big time starter. But um, you make you bring up a great point in that so many things happen from opening day, you know, to the time you get to postseason. You know, 2015 started opening day, and then went straight to the bullpen. You know, wasn't really cut out to be a great starter. You know, didn't have the command needed to really go deep in games, and so I had to fight your way back in the bullpen. And, so I think there's going to be a lot of those storylines that we're going to be able to follow throughout the course of the season. You know, who, who kind of shows the role that they were kind of meant to be, and I think those things kind of work themselves out as the season goes on, just based on how guys perform, based on the opportunities they get, and based on what the coaches are seeing and, and what roles that they want to see them perform at. And uh, I'm just I'm excited to see all those storylines unfold to see how these guys perform. Well, and you also know it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Or it's really like how things are going in the middle of the season. You go back and look at that 2015 team that made it to the College World Series. You guys had to get really hot from about the third or fourth week of SEC play to the end of it just to make the NCAA tournament. You know, you went on the road as a two seed, and I think there were some prognostications that at Arkansas as a three seed that year. Um, Mm -hmm. When you go back and look at 2015, and everything that went into that season. Um, are you surprised that that team made it to Omaha? Well, I, I you know, I, I think it's fair to say that everyone was pretty surprised that he made it to Omaha. I mean, it was, by the end of the year, between injuries and between guys going out and our depth, you know, it appeared on paper as kind of a ragtag bunch. Um, but I think that, you know, we had a good culture, that we had a good group of guys who were really close, who really wanted to win. And who knew that, you know, we may not have on paper the greatest staff. We may not have, you know, this high draft pick or this or that, but um, we were going to compete and, and show up. And I think that that, you know, kind of got us over the, over the hurdle. You know, we obviously had Zach Jackson, who was giving us great innings out of the extended relief out of the bullpen, um, as well as some other guys. But, you know, with this team, I think if, you know, if they can match that culture, they can match that intensity, they can match, you know, that desire to show up every day and work. And then also have the talent on top of that that they have. I think that's really where you, know, you see teams go to the next level. Well, Benny took that big step forward that year. I mean, <clears throat> you know, he did the injured wrist the year before, and then all of a sudden, wow, 400 batting average, 20 jacks, Golden Spikes Award. Every <clears throat> year that a team goes to the College World Series, and this isn't just at Arkansas, it's everywhere else, somebody takes a giant leap forward, either because they're healthy or they just figured something out. You know, like Kevin Copps in 2021. Mm-hmm. Connor Nolan figured some things out last year. You never really know who's going to take that leap forward. You just have like a sense in the back of your mind, somebody's going to take that big jump. And I wonder who it's going to be this year. I thought it would be Wiggins. I think Hagen Smith can take that giant leap forward. And Peyton Stovall, I think, is going to take that big jump. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, I think Benny... I think he was always meant to be a star, you know, just based on his, his moxie and his makeup and his talent. It was just a matter of him putting it together. Uh, you know, for me, I would like to see Brady Tiger. I'm, I'm really curious to see how his season plays out because, you know, the breaking ball is obviously unbelievable. He's got a great fastball to go with it. You know, if, if he could find ways to mix those two, throw the fastball for a strike enough to where that breaking ball is even more deadly, you know, and throw enough strikes and command the ball to be a starter. I mean, the sky's kind of the limit for him. So I'm curious to see the role that he fits into. You know, maybe they want to push him into that star role more with Wiggins being out, or maybe they say, you know, we want you to affect two games a weekend instead of one and come out of the bullpen. 
uh, and play and be in that that closer role. So I'm really looking forward to that story. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's always guys who are going to break out and perform, and you really need that, you know, to make a run late into the season. Well, I think we're going to have a lot of fun uh, doing this throughout the baseball season, and hopefully it goes <clears throat> deep into June because you know what that means if we're doing these segments in in the middle or or the latter part of June. But man, I mean, you've got uh, you got a good thing going as uh, with uh, with the Teague Law Firm. Um, you know, you ended your pitching career 2018. How quickly did it take you to get through law school? And uh, tell me what you think about uh, practicing law. Well, uh, I was on the road in pro ball studying for the LSAT, so it was, there was a little bit of uh, overlap there. I kind of I knew uh, which direction I was wanting to go. But, yeah, it was just a quick three years, got through law school, graduated, passed the bar, and so uh, here we are. And I'm kind of jumping on, uh, you know, with the Teague Law Firm, and they've got 30 years of experience, you know, primarily focusing in family law and in criminal practice. And so I'm walking into an environment that is very well prepared, you know, that has had just really a ton of experience in the Northwest Arkansas area. And, you know, sometimes you say family law and people say, Oh, you know, how is that? But, you know, it's kind of ironic. It's kind of like pitching on Friday night because, you know, the stakes are high, very emotional, but you know, if you show up every day and you think, you know, I'm here to fight for you and I'm here to battle for these people and get them what they deserve, you know, it's, it's kind of similar, like showing up on Friday night battling for your team. So, there's a little bit of overlap there as far as mentality, but I'm just really grateful to, you know, join on in the staff here and, you know, piggyback on the 30 years of experience in the Northwest Arkansas area. Last thing, you're an Oklahoma native. Um, you listed Bartlesville as your hometown. With Oklahoma joining the SEC, what does that do, uh, you know, for you as far as, like, social circles with friends that you uh, had uh, from Oklahoma? And um, you think it's going to be an adjustment period for OU to join the SEC in baseball? Well, you know, I hope it is so we can finally put to rest the SEC Big 12 discussion. You know, I think anyone who's who's playing the SEC or is an SEC fan, you know, they're a little biased. You know, SEC is the, the best of the best, but... Growing up in Oklahoma, you know, some people would like to argue that. So I'm, I'm actually excited to say, okay, well, now, now we get to find out for real. So. James, appreciate you, man. Looking forward to doing this throughout the season. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll do it again Friday on opening day next week. Yeah, Phil, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, you know, getting to talk baseball with you uh, for the rest, of the rest of the season. Head to Twin Peaks and Rogers, your sports headquarters, where the 29-degree draft beer is flowing, the kitchen is bursting with made-from-scratch fan favorites, and the game is blasting from every angle. Stop in for the ultimate game day experience, or visit them online at TwinPeaksRestaurant.com to order to-go or delivery and enjoy your Twin Peaks scratch favorites from home. More TVs, bigger screens, plus their scenic views. There's more to watch at Twin Peaks. Get by Eastside Liquor in Fort Smith today and pick up a bottle of the delicious 291 Colorado Bourbon and Rye. Also available, high noon tailgate packs are in stock, so swing by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith for all your game day needs at Eastside Liquor. Now, back to the podcast. I appreciate the text from uh, Mark. Just sent us a photo of the entrance to Wrigley Field. Uh, the home run in says the official pizza of the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field. You ever been to Wrigley Field, Matt? I have. I got uh, my first tattoo uh, at after a Cubs game. Went to a Cubs game in Chicago w- with my buddies, and uh, we we sat right there on the third base line. It was against the Rockies when they had Big Cat. 
Andre Gale, I can't say his name. Galarraga. Yeah, he was out there. It's a uh, while ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. It was uh, like rookie year or so. But yeah, it was. Uh, that's went to Wrigley, man. It was had some old styles. That's you right. Know, like fourteen dollar old styles. You know. They bring, yeah. It was. Uh, They're man, giant. We, They're really big old. Styles. Had a great time. Great with every penny. It was a great. I mean, beautiful day. Uh, it was. Uh, you know, late April. It was. Per- it was. A, it was a perfect day. Well, so you were, uh, in, the third, you were in the third base seats. You were in the Ferris Bueller seats. Right there on the thing, I got in trouble twice for sticking my drink on top of. The, I was on the front row right there, where which it, I won't do it again because I can't move my knees. You know when you're right there on the front row, but well, any it chance was, you broke your thumb catching a line drive. And uh, oh, homie, uh, uh, he threw me a ball. Yeah, when because we're right there where they're warming up and stuff, and it's like you eh. got a ball at your first game at Wrigley. Yeah, you and I are part of a club then. And then we saw Big Cat in the in the hallway at the hotel, and he signed it for us. Yeah. Yeah, the people. Not. It was it was a wild. Yeah, it was fun. I'm That's named a after dude. a cub. He was named after Christian Ryan Sandberg. Actually, my middle name's Ryan. I was going to say I don't know a cub named Christian or Johnston. At least not at the top of Christian uh, Ryan Johnston. So head. were you number twenty three when you played? No, I wasn't actually. But um, you know, my dad's a huge Cubs fan. And second he, baseman, you said you were and second I did baseman. Play second. Yeah, I don't. I, I wasn't his. I wasn't his number though. But yeah, I was named after Ryan Sandberg. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty Too bad cool. you weren't named after Ron Say. We could call you the Penguin. It'd be a great nickname for you. Or Andre Dawson. We could call you the Hawk. And I ran into Ron Senna while I was at a game uh, before he passed away. So just was, a little bit of history. I was going to call in here from Charlie. Uh, and by the way, Santo should have been in the Hall of Fame before he passed away. That was tragic. Hey, Charlie. Appreciate you holding through that interview with James Teague. How you doing, man? I actually enjoyed I'm doing great, Phil. I enjoyed uh, listening to that. That was good. Good stuff. So he's kind of... he's going to bring a little entertainment through. while you're on the hold. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was definitely good. So he... Uh, I don't remember him on last year, so he's going to be doing baseball with you guys. Uh, He'll be here every Friday with okay. us uh, to talk about Arkansas baseball and some other things. Because when you're talking baseball these days, like rules changes, culture of the sport... You have to also keep in mind, too, like James' last pitch for Arkansas in 2016, so that was seven years ago. The program is different than it was then, a lot, in terms of, you know, the technology and the facilities that yep. they're working with. Even the prestige, too. And I think in 2015 and 16, it was a prestigious program. You got three trips but to Arkansas. They were really since starting then, to so come a little on more then, so yeah. now. That's right. Well, I was thinking about uh, last year going into the year, Phil, and your expe- if you can remind me, your expectations going into last year, I know were high for that team. But you talked about, I don't think last year we really knew pitching-wise uh, exactly uh, where we were going to be. I think the strength going into last year, were we ranked number one going into last year? I can't remember. No, no I don't remember who the preseason number one was, but I don't I'm – Yeah, I don't worry about pre- – I, I just know – that we were up there pretty high, and I think the idea last year was we were going to be a great hitting team, correct? But we didn't. The uh, the pitching was a, I guess, question mark, so to speak, last year. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I it's couldn't legit to say because you had some, you had young pitchers that had to fill into some yes. roles, and, and Connor had to make it really. the pen without Kevin Copps, and um, you know, they. I mean, the roles changed throughout the season. The lineup was up and down. The one thing you could yeah. count on last year was fielding. They made the plays in the field. And for me right oh, now, yeah, that's, the, that's the one, that's like top of the list of the things that I'm just not sure about. I think they'll hit, they're going to pitch. I don't know how good the fielding is going to be, and it'll probably be good, 
but you'll you're always yeah, comparing to what you saw the more. year before. <laughs> Nobody will be as good as the last as last year, or the year before defense. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think there's any way you can be as good as Battles and Moore right there in the middle, and uh, even moving, especially uh, moving what you call it over. But yeah, I agree; those two guys are remarkable. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, we're gonna miss them. But uh, I was thinking, you know, about it, and I know the loss. I hate that for Jackson, man. I, now, as far as Tommy John surgery in today's times, when you're coming back from that injury. It's easier nowadays, right, to get back to where you were, or is it still pretty hard to come back from? Is that am I right by that? I mean, I mean, the term "easy" wouldn't be the right way to put it. It's just no, it's hard. Yeah, it, I mean, they you have to work so hard at rehab to to get back into proper shape, and there's an emotional aspect to it as well. I mean, I mean, these oh, kids yeah. have been playing. It's like the same thing with uh, Jalen Catalan, just a little bit different because Catalan dealt with the injury two years in a row. But to miss yeah. a full season, and you're just never used to that. And you've been pitching, like, you know, Jackson's been pitching for like his whole 14, life. 14 years <laughs> his whole life. Uh, so there's yeah. an emotional aspect to it. There's no reason to rush back from this, though. You know, you know no doubt. it takes about a year to get back. But, but you know, then, then you got to get, you got you to fine tune everything all over again. So there's no reason uh-huh. to rush back. I would imagine if Jackson Wiggins, like, if he were to return, for for next year, I don't, can't imagine he'd be ready for the start of the season. Um, I agree. Either you bring in maybe a month after or a month and a half after. Because it and it also probably takes a while to get that velocity back, right? I mean, he may lose a little velocity from the surgery too, right? Well, maybe a mile per hour. You end up getting a lot of that velocity back. And I remember bringing this up last year. I can't remember the term of the surgery, but it all depends on where the tear on the ligament occurred. Yeah. Uh, brace surgery, I think is what it was called. And and if you're able to utilize that surgery, and again, I think it all depends on the location on the ligament of where the tear happened. Brace yeah. surgery will get you back quicker. Uh, and it's a whole different form of, of surgery. So I don't I don't know the makeup of, of where this occurred for Wiggins or how long they expect him to be out. You just know he's not going to pitch this year and it's still going to take, you know, it'll take at least 12 months to get back to where, you know, you're probably like throwing off a mound and even being close to being ready to face hitters. Yeah, no doubt. And, and no disrespect to uh, Wiggins, though. I, I think he was going to have a great year. I read that at first and thought it had said Hagen Smith, and my my eyes went. I was like, no. we It's like our big lefty. I was like, our best lefty, no way. This can't be happening. Uh, but anyway, I, I hope he comes back. Uh, or, you know, not necessarily comes back to Arsenal, but gets back to full strength and can really uh, follow his dream because uh, he's definitely got a lot of talent. I want to say before I go, guys, um, tomorrow's game, um, I think Mississippi State's on a little bit of a roll here. and So I don't know if it's necessarily going to be the easiest one. But, you know, as far as Nick tomorrow, do you think it's kind of similar? Do you think, you know, we're, we're, look, I, I just want people to understand, he ain't going to come back and score 20 in the first game. You know, and if it happens, that's crazy. But, you know, look, he's probably not going to play probably 10 to 15 minutes or less. So everybody just needs to chill. We got to be patient with all this. And uh, like you said, Matt, yesterday, he really needs to lock in defensively. Uh, you know, because I think the offense will take a little time to kind of get back into a rhythm. Anyways, guys, I appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Charlie. Good to hear from you as always. 
Got to get your legs back. That's, I mean, that's it. Play good defense, offense. He's so naturally gifted. I mean, he's the best player on the team. So it, it will be easier to integrate the best player. But you got to get basketball shape, man. You make bad decisions when you get tired, you get lazy, and it just takes you two weeks to, to really get going. And if you're looking at it, all things being considered, uh, Phil, about the right time, right? It's about, I mean, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Let's get him back in and, and let's go to war. Let's go to battle if he's going to play. Uh, so, I mean, if, I mean, obviously you'd like to have him there for the entire year, but, uh, this is about, I mean, you got, you got plenty of games. You know, you got what, 21 days or so that he gets to get back into it and see how that knee holds up because, if you don't get a double buy, Phil, it's back-to-back games in the SEC tournament. You know, every it's you played, and the next day you play, he hasn't been able to that knee. We don't know what's going on. So Back-to-back games with a lot of times where we hear the term management thrown out in the NBA. So right. we end up seeing some management at that point. Wes and Harrison texted in. Uh, you know, Brock Purdy also had a torn UCL. You know, the quarterback from Iowa State that made all the big, uh, the big news over at San Francisco. He's having brace surgery. I'd seen where his recovery is expected to be six months. He'll be ready to compete for preseason practice with this brace surgery. But as far as I understand, it all depends on the location of the injury on the ligament. And I have no idea where the location on the ligament of Jackson Wiggins, where that injury occurred. But he'll miss this season no matter what. I guess it matters on where that injury occurred on the ligament if he'll be ready to come back next year. Chuck Barrett here. I know a thing or two about making great calls in Arkansas. And when it comes to your home service needs, make the call to Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. The friendly pros at Pascal have been serving Arkansas for more than 50 years. And as the weather changes, make sure your system is ready with a Pascal protection plan. Call the pros at Pascal and get a seasonal tune-up, discounted services, and priority scheduling. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Arkansas owned. Arkansas operated. GoPascal.com. Eastside Liquor has more than just liquor. They also have wellness products and now carry Marley CBD gummies. They come in amazing flavors like Island Punch and Coconut Vanilla. They come in 200 milligram tin packs, so stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue and pick some up today. Now, back to the podcast. All right, guys. Matt Jones, Kristen Johnston, everybody else listening on Halftime. You see that thing? It's about 59 minutes away from right now. Even though plenty of people will still be working after 2 o'clock, the weekend is on the way. So feeling good about it, man. Don't have to you gotta, fly anywhere. Got to get, get, uh, get your food. I know you're big on having uh, your appetizers, your finger foods, what you got to get. Love, love Super Bowl Sunday. I'm just going to end up eating whatever is on the plate of wherever it is I watch the game. Uh, I don't know where it's going to be. I'm half, wa- I'm half listening to it and half watching it. Now, I won't be eating anything. Well, like I love wings during a Super Bowl, all right? But you can't drive, listen to the Super Bowl, and eat wings at the same time. At least I don't think so. The other aspect, too, is the radio commercials Aren't are the nowhere same. near as funny as the TV commercials, or at least not as entertaining. So I kind of want to get through those things and uh, get and get right to the game. Uh, I'm trying to think. Last year, I can't really remember uh, a lot of the Super Bowl. I mean, the commercials from I, I it just it, it's not as big as I, I don't think it used to be. Like I used to really like the Super Bowl commercials, and now it's just kind of like yeah. I liked the um, 
uh, the uh, Larry David FTX commercial. That one, the cry, yeah. The, the, uh, the cyber currency. Yeah, never, the yeah he's like, I'm not wrong about anything. Or, yeah, yeah. I obviously yeah. have never bought any of that stuff. Cryptocurrency. Crypto. The, the NFL banned any cryptocurrency commercials. So you can't even do it. Like, uh, hopefully Larry David's got another thing going on. Because he's funny and all. You seen Clear History? Anything. You seen uh-huh. Clear? It's a Larry David production. Uh, watch, uh, watch some. If you like, um, what's the show you told me to watch after Seinfeld? He did. Oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's, so it's it's, uh, but it's got uh, who's who's cast in it. You, you Clear History is a must watch. Yes, sir. Hey, I, I have to. Um, I have to thank. We had a texter out of the nine one eight. I had uh, forgotten there is a second. Uh, baseball legend that's going into Cooperstown because they've got the they've got the added committees. I don't think football does like a you know like a, an old players committee you know or or I veterans think committee eras like baseball does. Fred McGriff is also the crime dog, inducted. the crime yeah. dog along with Scott Rowland. It's a little bit of an underwhelming Hall of Fame class. Not that either of them doesn't belong in. I think you could kick the tires on Roland. I think I think Crime Dog belongs. I in see there. like a number twenty four or number seventeen on Fred McGriff. What number was Fred McGriff? Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna I'm gonna ask have you the to, questions that I have no answer. I see. To. I just I'm picturing my little ten year old self watching Fred McGriff. Let's see. I just can't remember it. I just cannot remember it. I don't know what it is. But I like inclusive Hall of Fames. Um, and this, the you know, the class of the NFL Hall of Fame comes out yesterday. What do they have, 15 finalists? It was uh, 15 finalists. You have nine players uh, that have made it in. Nine players. I mean, you've got to, this is one of those uh, induction ceremonies in August in Canton where you're going to have to limit everybody to like, you know, 10 minutes each. And then that's still 90 minutes of talking. So maybe you got to limit them to a little less than that. Um, Rondé Barber going in. Uh, Rondé Barber, according to Tony Dungy on the ESPN uh, article, says he changed the way defense is played. Cover two, right? Cover two. Everybody's got that to Tampa two. Cover two. They won a Super Bowl doing that. Yeah, that that Tampa two and Rondé Barber was one of the, to play cover two. Phil, you got to be physical. You got to be able to come in and tackle. You got to set that edge a lot, man. It's a tough to to find at that level to be able to tackle like that and cover at the same time. He's an old school cornerback, man, and in longevity. I want to say his last fourteen year, fourteen or fifteen years uh, in the league, Phil. He didn't miss a game. I think you're right. That's exactly right. Man, think about that. In that sport, mm-hmm. 15 years without missing a game. That's craziness. I mean, 15. How many years did it take Cal Ripken to set that record from 83 through 95? That's longer. Barber went longer. Um that's an impressive as anything right there. Being a cornerback on that physical Tampa defense. I mean, they you had Tampa and, and Baltimore, I, I want to say, around that time that were really playing. So Chicago, they didn't win a Super Bowl, though. But as far as winning a Super Bowl uh, defensive-led team, that Tampa team, man, Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Rondé Barber, uh, John Lynch, who's the, the CEO apparently at, at San Fran, whatever his mm-hmm. title is, but he's kind of got that San Fran team. Man, they had a lot of talent there. Wonder if uh, Lane Kiffin's dad, Monte Kiffin, was the D coordinator. Yeah, that's right. There he was there for a long time too, and for a defensive coach in Dungey. Mm-hmm. You wonder is uh, is Tiki a Hall of Famer? 
Tiki retired. You remember he retired, retired kind of and the then next the year television. Well, the next year they won the Super Bowl. That's the so That's he was right. with the Giants for all those years, and the next year they they won. I don't think Tiki. I don't think Rondé would have been a Hall of Famer if he had only played eleven years. I, I think that longevity really helps. I, I think Tiki, if he had played three or four more years, maybe, but. I don't think so. Just a little bit over ten thousand yards in Tiki's career. If he's a, if he's a Hall of Famer, Fred Taylor's a Hall of Famer. I, I'll tell you that. He, oh, Fred Taylor, go there. Fred Taylor's go better there. than than Tiki Barber ever thought he was. Well, you got a soft spot for uh... best running back I played with in in my four years in the in, in being able lucky enough to play in the NFL. He was the best running back that I played with, and Maurice Jones Drew was there too, which he was pretty good. But Fred Taylor, man, there wasn't anything that dude couldn't do. It's a defense heavy class. Uh, Chuck Howley, an old-time linebacker from the 50s and the 60s with uh, the Bears and the Cowboys. Joe Klecko. Wow, Joe Klecko, defensive end. Remember, he and, like, Gastineau was the guy you thought was going to be the Hall of Famer on that Jets defense, and he flamed out, and Klecko gets into the Hall of Fame with a 10-year career. Darrell Revis, Revis Island. And, I, I, man, I didn't go back and look this up, though, but I think with Revis making the Hall of Fame, there might not be another school, another university uh, that has more players enshrined in Canton than Pitt, which is where Revis came from. Well, you know Fitzgerald's going to be there his first year on the ballot. He's a Pitt receiver. So the first year that uh, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, he, he will definitely be, be a, a Hall of Famer. You know, the crazy thing is that um, I think Mike Ditka went to Aliquippa High School, which is the same high school that Revis went to. There's another Hall of Famer. They went to Aliquippa. Three Hall of Famers from a tiny little high school, a tiny little town in uh, western Pennsylvania in uh, Aliquippa. So, Revis, you play against Revis? I did. Rookie year, he was, uh, he was with the Jets. Um, we, we ended up winning. I, I was the slot in my rookie year, so I didn't go against him. Uh, I, yeah, so, but he, uh, talk about talent. He, he's uh, a, a cover c- corner. You know, you got Dion, uh, Daryl Green. Uh, Al Harris was pretty good. Terrence Newman, you know, Revis Island, man, he, he had a, a period there where he was pretty good. I'm, I'm telling you, the hardest thing to do in professional sports, in my opinion, Phil, and I never had to hit a curveball or a slider, but is to cover a professional athlete who knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And you get to study film, you get to know down and distance, you get to use your context clues to kind of know what he's doing as far as the receiver. But that's a professional athlete over there, and you got to react to what he does. I mean, just just unbelievable athlete. I think they're the best athletes in the world are cornerbacks. And he still had 29 interceptions over uh, over uh, career. Won a lasted. Super Bowl with the Patriots, yeah. He did? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, one year at the Patriots. He kind of turned into, I mean, he's known for the Jets. You remember, uh, goes to Tampa, then New England, and then back to the Jets. And then wrapped up his career with Kansas City. Revis Island. Uh, who else uh, making it can here? Ken Riley, a cornerback uh, from the uh, 70s and 80s with Cincinnati. And Joe Thomas, um, one of the great tackles of his time with Cleveland. But yeah. he didn't really play for many very good Cleveland teams. I think they might have been to the playoffs once with him, twice maybe. He is, um, I wouldn't say you, he wasted his talent because he, he obviously was, was one of the best left tackles to do it. Uh, but it's a shame, and, and nobody looks at left tackles the way they do other positions. Uh, if he was a different position, not making it to the playoffs or not having a lot of success, it'd be kind of like, uh, oh, who, who's the receiver from Detroit that went to Georgia Tech? Uh, 
Well, Megatron. So he, dude, he was on like a one and fourteen team, an zero and sixteen. Like you look at this, and, and he's still considered one of the best receivers to ever play the game. Wasn't that bad with Joe Thomas? But no, they weren't. They weren't very good at all. But he's man, absolute just just stud. And and being able to play, uh, he didn't miss a lot of time either. Like he was one of those guys that you could you pencil him in at left tackle, and you knew who your starting left tackle was. Just think of some of the quarterbacks that Thomas might have. Uh... Jason Campbell, <laughs> I know. Blocked for. I know Jason Campbell was there. That they went through that list, man. They were going through a lot of them. Yeah, and then Zach Thomas. Is there a shorter linebacker in Canton than Zach Thomas? What do they list him at five eleven? He probably was shorter than that. Yeah, that dude from uh, that dude from the the Saints was it Pat Mills? He was he was a little guy. No, so we're playing a preseason game down there at Pro Player Stadium in in Miami. And uh, I, I'm in the slot in his rookie year and uh, have a slant route. And uh, so run your slant, you know, run your hot route and, and, and left, left, which shows the pass a little bit behind me, but it's, it's to protect me, you know, because he sees a guy coming and dude, that dude hit me in the back, uh, kind of your kidney shot. And it's one of those where you get hit and you're like, I don't want to play football anymore. I think I'm, <laughs> I think I'm done with, and then you got to get right back up. You can't lay down. I mean, I didn't, you bounce right back up. You can't let anybody see it, but at the time it hurt, but I bounced right back up and you, you go about it, but it wasn't any fun. I'm going through the list here of some of the quarterbacks that Joe Thomas, um, blocked for Derek Anderson, Charlie Fry. Brady Quinn, Colt McCoy, Jake DeLome, Seneca Wallace, Seneca Jason Wallace. Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer. There's McCown, Johnny Manziel, Austin Davis, and uh, and then Deshaun Kaiser. I don't. He didn't play. There's not Baker one winner. Mayfield, though. There's not one winner on that group. Not like one. yeah, college winners, not pro winners. Uh-uh. You're not, not scared of any of those quarterbacks. Yeah. Got that right. All right, we'll break here. And, and also one, we, we DeMarcus Ware, Phil. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned him or not, but he's... That's uh, right. I forgot to get to DeMarcus Ware. I scrolled all the way down. And, I mean, was there anybody better than DeMarcus Ware at linebacker during his time with the Cowboys? Best defensive end, outside linebacker, however you want to call it, that I played against in college. Uh, he, he went to Troy. He played in the SEC with a lot of good ones. Uh, great. Uh, unbelievable. He's a first ballot guy, for sure. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at HitThatLine.com. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.